everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. The Raging Cajuns. The Raging Cajuns get the win. 36-17 to 17. last night over the Georgia Southern Eagles. It was a must-needed win. It was a much-needed win. They had to get it, and they got the job done. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your host, Raymond Parch III, better known as RP3. We've got a tremendous show lined up for you here today. James Yasko from the Lima Time Time podcast will be joining us. That'll be coming up an hour from right now. He'll have plenty to talk about, celebrating a World Series championship for the Astros. And then looking ahead as Major League Baseball free agency began yesterday at 4 o'clock. What should the targets be? Who should the targets be, rather, for the Strohs? Then at 8 o'clock, Corey Diaz from the Daily Advertiser will be joining us. He covers the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. He'll recap last night's win for us. And now it appears that Coach Dez has put his team in a position to be able to get to a bowl game. Independence Bowl representatives were at the game last night. Obviously, they had the Cajuns in their sights. Zach Miller then will join us to talk fantasy football, giving you the tips you need for this weekend. And then Ryan Hinton, you know him as Dat Boy Wolf. He'll be joining us as well for the Big Easy Blitz, our buddy from the Saints Twitter podcast, to help us preview Saints Steelers. Yes, unfortunately, We'll be previewing Saints Steelers. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. But we're going to start off with the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. A complete performance 36 17. This time around, they did not choke away a game, they did not let one slip through their hands. Didn't do it this time. Troy, on Saturday, they did. Not last night. Not last night. Kenny Almaderas, who has had his struggles all season long, multiple field goals for that young man. Short range, mid range, long range. The defense, with the exception of some big chunk plays where Georgia Southern was able to attack the secondary, they did their job. They held the number one ranked scoring offense in the Sun Belt Conference to only 17 points. They were averaging over 32 per game. Over 32 per game. They come into Cajun Field on a Thursday night with the Cajuns on a short turnaround 
And you know what they did? They only managed 17 points. Ben Woolridge overcame an interception in the end zone to throw three first-half touchdown passes. Kenny sets a new school record, rather ties a new school record of five field goals, three of them in a 10-minute span. So when they needed points, they were able to get them. And what does this tell you about Coach Des? Loyal to his guy. Loyal to his guy. Believes in Kenny, puts him out there. Hey, this is a must win for us. I believe in you. Go get us some points. And sure enough, Kenny goes out there and ties a school record with five field goals, three of them in a 10-minute span. The Cajuns improved to five and five on the season, three and four in Sunbelt play. They snap a two-game losing streak with the win in their home finale. And in doing so, keep their hopes alive of becoming bowl eligible with only two games remaining. UL simply needs to win one of those games at Florida State a week from Saturday or at Texas State in San Marcos on November 26th, Thanksgiving weekend. If they do that, they will become bowl eligible for the 10th time in the last 12 seasons. It's also the fourth straight win for the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. For the Louisiana Raging Cajuns against the Eagles of Georgia Southern. They improved to 5-1 and one in the all-time series. And the Cajuns, you knew it was going to be a good night for them. When they scored on all but three possessions in the game with one turnover on downs deep in Georgia Southern territory in the first quarter. The Cajuns also scored on five of their six first-half possessions with Woolridge's three touchdown passes coming in the game's first 19 minutes. They set the tone. They were focused. And this is this team's potential. And this is why it's been frustrating for a lot of Raging Cajun fans is because... They know what this team's capable of. It's just been a struggle to have it consistently occur. Have them consistently reach that potential week in and week out. You even see it in games where you're like, this is a really good team. And then things start going sideways like they did Saturday against Troy, where they led that game 17-0. But they weren't squandering this lead. Offense did enough to put itself in a position. Hey, Kenny, we need field goals. Not a problem. Got it. Defense, Zion Hill Green in his last game at home as a Raging Cajun, his sensational career, he ties the all-time sack record. He, Andre Jones, Braylon Trahan, those guys, Trey Amos, they were not going to let this happen again. Offense did its part. Defense did its part. And I said yesterday on the show, if the Cajuns were going to win, defense was going to give up points. I said defense is probably going to give up three touchdowns in this game because Georgia Southern's offense is just that good, just that dynamic. Once again, averaging more than 32 points per game entering this contest. The number one ranked offense, passing offense and total offense in the conference. 
I said, the offense for the Cajuns is going to have to step up and score enough points. Can they score enough points? Boy, did they. And then defense said, hey, you know what? As a bonus, we're only going to give up two touchdowns. That's it. And can't say enough about Kenny, man. He's had a rough go of it. He missed two field goals last week that could have won the game for them. Could have given them a little bit more distance to be able to win that game. And Dez and the staff and his teammates still believed in him to put him out there. He had two field goals in the final 344 before halftime and then added three more in the second half from 42-39 and 40 yards. He became the first Raging Cajuns kicker in 33 years to record five field goals in a game. How amazing is that? Mike LeMoyne was the last time that happened in 1989 versus Central Michigan. And they didn't get touchdowns every time. The drive stalled. But they were able to count on their guys. And and we've talked about this over and over again. What made those Raging Cajun teams so good, borderline great, in that three-year stretch of the four-year tenure of Billy Napier, was they had great defense, a defense that turned over the football, They could run the ball, borderline top 10 team in the country. But what was always the X factor for the Raging Cajuns was this. Excellent, excellent special teams. They had great guys as gunners that went down there and made tackles, didn't give up the big return, forced turnovers. Percy Butler made a career out of that. He's in the NFL because of what he could do on special teams. Great return specialist from Raymond Calais to Chris Smith to now Gare. And reliable, game-changing kicking and punting. And that's been inconsistent this year. Not last night. Not last night. Kenny went out there and said, I got this. Five field goals. Phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. And when they needed him, and, th- and that's the difference right there. It, that's the difference in the game. That's 15 points courtesy of Kenny. That's your ball game right there. He was the difference in the game. Who knows what this game looks like if he doesn't put points on the board. And not only just because of the points, but also how the field position is. You go out there, you kick the field goal, you put points on the board, but then you also kick off and you bury your opponent by their goal line. You miss a field goal, you turn over the ball right there. You don't have confidence in your kicker, so instead of kicking a field goal, you decide to go for it. You don't make it, you turn over on downs. You decide maybe, hey, you know what? We're kind of no man's land. I'm just going to punt it and be conservative you possibly give up a big return. Having a guy that you can rely on to get you points, absolutely an asset, a game changer for this team. And you saw their performance last night. 
in addition to Kenny being lights out and Ben Woolridge having three first-half touchdown passes, this team went out there and rushed for a season-high 242 yards. Special teams, great. Run game, great. Defense, great. Reminded you of what this team was just like two years ago or last season. Put up 434 yards of total offense. The Cajuns' defense, meanwhile, held the Eagles to 2 of 14 on third down and allowed only seven points on three Georgia Southern red zone possessions. They were great in the red zone. They were great on third down. They were great. Zion Hill Green got that sack in the fourth quarter. He now has 21 career sacks, sharing the school mark with Jeff Mitchell and Christian Ringo for most sacks all time. Still has two games and more than likely a bowl game to break the record. That's the local product from New Iberia. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. And now, and what I loved about in this game in particular was that Cajuns jump out to that 7-0 lead in the first five minutes. Love that. Strike first, get on the board, rolling. Then they hold Georgia Southern to a three and out and then driving 60 yards on only six plays. They pick up a fourth down with Chris Smith running for 14 yards. And then Woolridge finds John Stevens Jr. for a 28-yard touchdown, his third touchdown catch of the season. The next drive, they drive down. And Woolridge is picked off in the end zone. And then the Eagles turn around and march 96 yards. Their longest drive of the season. The top-ranked offense of the Sunbelt Conference goes 96 yards, touchdown. It's tied 7-7 with just one minute into the second quarter. The Skagen team could have been rattled. Things could have went sideways for them. Could have lost their confidence. They didn't. Because the Raging Cages needed only a minute 15 to take the lead for good when Draylon Washington broke off a 54-yard run to the Eagle 21-yard line. That set up an 18-yard touchdown pass into the corner of the end zone from Woolridge. Just like that. Faced adversity in the game. Throws an interception in the end zone, gets no points, and then Georgia Southern marches 96 yards to tie the ball game. And the Cajuns automatically respond, and they take the lead back, and they never look back. They were in control of the game and never surrendered, never took their foot off the pedal. This was the most complete performance they've put together all season. Must-win situation, backs against the wall, and they respond by getting not only a win, but a convincing win in their final game at Cajun Field this season. Two games to go. They only need one win in those two. Going to be a major underdog, significant underdog at Florida State in Tallahassee a week from Saturday. But Texas State, that's the winnable game. They have to go to San Marcos to do it. But at least they're now in a position to go to a bowl game. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we'll hear from Coach Dez. 
post-game from last night's impressive win over Georgia Southern. That's coming up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update, presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. All right, so, you know, really proud of our kids putting together, you know, a four-quarter football game. Um, we talked about, you know, needing all three phases to play for four quarters, and we got that tonight. Um, a fast start again, which is huge. Uh, you know, for us, that's something that, you know, you start fast and, and you can kind of keep your foot on the gas a little bit. I thought our defense did a really a, a phenomenal job. I mean, this offense has been putting up points in bunches. Um, did a really good job tonight, you know, slowing it down. You know, definitely they got some yards. They're a good football team. I mean, you know, I have a lot of respect for that program for a long time. Coach Helton and his history and what he's done, um, and certainly that team and the way they've played. Uh, you know, tonight was about our guys going out there and just refusing to be denied, and we talked about that, and we talked about what's at stake for us. So really good to come out, get the taste out of our mouth from last week and finish a game in the fourth quarter. So uh, Really proud. You know, certainly there's going to be a lot of things to fix. We need to score a touchdown instead of field goals. And that's what we're going to talk about, and that's no doubt. Um, but it makes it a lot easier when you have a big lead and your kicker's nailing them, you know, to keep putting points on the board. So really, uh, really proud of this team tonight. Coach Dez, total team effort. They won special teams, defense, and offense. It was a vintage Raging Cajuns performance, the type of performances that many of us were accustomed to seeing over the last three years. Not year one of Billy Napier's tenure. People forget that that team ended up being 7-6 and six and losing the bowl game. But the type of performance we saw last night is what we had seen the last three seasons when they won double-digit regular season games for the first time in program history. And they always did so by power run game, a defense that was opportunistic, and special special teams. And Coach Dez talked about the effectiveness of when you can go out there and your offense is able to run for the football for more than 200 yards in a game. Yeah, I didn't know that. Um, felt like we ran the ball well. You know, felt like we had a good plan. Our, our staff, I thought, did a really good job. You know, we prepared for these guys quite a bit, you know, um, leading up to this. And then certainly, you know, the last few days getting ready for it. And I thought we had a good, simple plan that we could execute. And certainly, it doesn't matter what the plan is if your players don't go out there and play. And our offensive line, you know, they're, they're finally getting a lot of confidence in playing together. And they're finally kind of getting that, that, that mentality that it takes to be really good on the offensive line. And um, our backs are playing really well. They're hitting it, you know. You know, you got a bunch of guys that are carrying the football. They're doing a good job, and um, you know, you got to run the ball to win. And tonight, we were able to do that. You know, and so got to keep building off of that. Got to continue to find ways to get us good runs, to get us an advantage runs, and uh, put our kids in position to have success. So tonight was was a good. It was a good. I guess it was a good showing of our coaches doing a good job, getting them ready to go play, and our players going out there and just doing their job, man, and executing and doing it really well and playing hard. And you could tell that this team was focused. 
you could tell that they realized they let one get away from them on Saturday. And, I mean, think of it this way. If they would have held on to that in that game against Troy and they would have won last night, they'd be bowl eligible right now. Right? And the seniors and the veterans understood that. And people were concerned, well, what about the mental challenge? What about the physical challenge of doing the short week? Barely any fans showed up on Saturday. Some more showed up around 11,000 for last night's game. That didn't matter. You could tell this team was locked in and fully understood what was at stake. And the defense, once again, we can't praise them enough for their performance. Georgia Southern was the number one ranked passing offense, the number one ranked total offense in the league. And they were held to barely anything on third down held only 17 points in the entire game. And defensively, the Cajuns' defense was phenomenal, and Coach Dez had nothing but praise for that unit after the game. Well, I think our defensive staff does a really good job of putting our players in situations to get one-on-one pass rushes. Um, I thought tonight we did a phenomenal job of mixing up drop eight coverage and pressures. Um, You know, you can't be all or all one way or the other. You have to mix it up a little bit, keep them on their toes. And I thought we did a good job of it. That quarterback is really good. He makes great decisions. And tonight, he didn't really make many bad decisions. You know, he did a great job. They had some shots called. He checked it down when it wasn't there. Um, and certainly, they made some plays down the field. But, you know, for us, it was uh, it was about mixing it up a little bit, getting our guys an opportunity to rush one-on-one. And I, I said it, you know, during the week, I felt like that offensive line was, was really pretty good. And, um, you know, I'm proud of our guys, especially down a few men. Uh, to go out there and go play really well. But defensively, all year, you know, those guys have just been consistent. And it just it's it makes your job a whole lot easier when you're getting some stops and things like that. Two guys in particular really stood out to me with their play last night. And Zion Hill Green, who obviously tied the all-time sack record for the Raging Cajuns, but also Andre Jones. That defensive line made Georgia Southern's quarterback uncomfortable all night long got pressure, just did their job. They set the tone for the rest of the defense, the second level and the third level, and those guys were able to make plays as well because of what Zion and Andre did up front, and Coach Dez talked about those veteran leaders across the defensive line. I mean, those guys have just been been great from the jump, you know, I mean, from the very beginning. Uh, you know, Zion Hill, if you didn't know what he means to our team, you could see when he was down on the ground, I mean, Every single player on the defense was standing there to check on him. You know, I mean, he's he's kind of the emotional, spiritual leader. Um, and Andre, you know, I mean, that guy has just just come so far since he's been here. Man, he's just played and just worked himself into a, a damn good football player. And uh, you know, I mean, they show up every week. They're hard to handle. I mean, they're they're tough. Whenever you got all those pass rushers on the field at the same time, who do you double? Who do you slide to? So. Um, it's a blessing for us to have those guys in there that can, you know, get one-on-one situations and cause pressure and, and get wins. Raging Cajuns, five and five now on the season. One went away from being bow eligible. They have been projected to be in the Independence Bowl by college football experts like Brett McMurphy. Said had them pegged to go even before last night's game 
last week, the, earlier this week rather, when McMurphy released his updated bowl pairings, updated bowl projections, he has the Raging Cajuns playing in the Independence Bowl in Independence Stadium in Shreveport. The reason why that is is that we will not have enough teams that will uh, be going around for bowl games. So even though the Sun Belt Conference only has five bowl tie-ins, which means it only has affiliations with five games, they're going to have more teams that are bowl eligible. Well, they're going to help pick up the slack for other conferences that aren't going to have enough teams to send to their bowl tie-ins. When that happens, the bowl itself can go pick and choose whoever they want. If the conference that they have an affiliation with does not have enough teams to send to them, then they're allowed to go elsewhere. They would like the Cajuns. When this happens, you always think regionally. Remember First Responders Bowl a couple of years ago? That was outside of Dallas. I think that was in Frisco. They wanted the Raging Cajuns. They took them. They went. That was not a Sunbelt-affiliated bowl game. Eyeball was in the house, by the way. Independence Bowl officials were there at the game, laying the groundwork. Cajuns win. They're only one win away. If the Cajuns get to six, 99% sure they're headed up north on I-49 to go up to Shreveport to play in a bowl game. And for a team that's battled and has been inconsistent all season long, with all the losses they had, four starting offensive linemen from a year ago, four-year starting quarterback gone, coaches, players, for them to be able to find a way to get to a bowl game, it's a great accomplishment, especially in year one, year one of the Coach Des era. we got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we're going to talk about somebody else who's in year one at their program. Gary Golf, he's the man in charge of the Minis Cowboys. They got a win last weekend, their second of the season. But you know what? They'd like to get a conference win, a win in Southland Conference play. They're going to try to do that this Saturday at Houston Christian. Gary Golf talked to the media yesterday. We'll share that with you next. That's coming up right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. RP3 came to the station this morning to do only two things. Kick some ass and drink some beer. Looks like we're almost out of beer. Well, it's kind of early for the latter, isn't it? Maybe. Probably. Maybe just a root beer or some flavored water. Back to more kick-ass sports talk with RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Hey, if you're looking for great stocking stuffers for this holiday season, look no further than the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. As a member of our rewards club, you're going to have the opportunity to score excellent prizes like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester Steakhouse at Cypress Bayou, a $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House, or a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen. Those are all sounding great. 
those would all make excellent stocking stuffers for family and friends. And we want you to score them. We want to give them to you. We want to help you out this holiday season. But we can't do that unless you become a member of our clubhouse. So go sign up today. It's simple. It's free. Simply go to 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. Sign up today so you can score great gifts that will make the perfect stocking stuffer for this holiday season. We have a poll question of the day. Need you to go vote on as well on this lovely morning, November the 11th. Slightly chilly outside this morning, which was nice. Now that the Cajuns have gotten to five wins, they only need one win left in their last two games to be able to get to bowl eligibility. I've already told you, if they get to six wins, they're going to the eye bowl. Will the Louisiana Raging Cajuns earn a bowl berth? 75% of you say yes, but 25% of you are negative Nancys. You're saying no. You think they'll stumble in their regular season finale at Texas State two weeks from Saturday. Let's get to some comments here. Ton on Twitter says, I'm going to say yes, but it'll be one of those early bowls no one has heard of, like the Hattiesburg Bills Cotton Patch RC Cola Bowl or something like that. First of all, Ton, that bowl that you just came up with sounds amazing. Will the RC Cola Bowl have moon pies to go along with it? I have questions. John Paul Cajun Daddy says, if they play the last two games the way they played last night, then they should have no problem becoming bowl eligible. Darren, the number one Raging Cajun fan of RP3 and Company, says, I think they will become bowl eligible. That doesn't guarantee them a berth. So treat Florida State as the bowl game and go down there and put up a fight. That way they have no choice but to put you in no matter what happens at Texas State. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Once again, will the Louisiana Raging Cajuns earn a bowl berth? Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. It's a family-friendly show now. Cajuns win last night. The McNeese Cowboys will be looking to do the same tomorrow when they travel to Houston they take on Houston Christian, formerly known as Houston Baptist University. The Huskies are on the struggle bus as well. They've had a disappointing season. This is a winnable game for McNeese. And McNeese, which looked like they were just this close to breaking through with back-to-back weeks in conference play, when they're on the road at Nichols and then at home at Southeastern, they could have won either one of those games or both of those games. Didn't quite get the job done. This team is still learning how to win. Gary Goff having to add 50 players this offseason. They're starting from scratch here. They're tearing this bad boy down to the studs and rebuilding. But they got a win last week, their last non-conference game of the year against Eastern Illinois. And you're seeing the progression of this program. You're seeing the progression of what golf is trying to do. Now, they're going to go on the road and try to get their first conference win of the season. And it's going to be tough. But the way this team has been playing, I have full confidence that they'll be able to get the job done. Now, they also have an opportunity here. They're not going to win the conference championship. They're not going to the FCS playoffs. But 
You win last week. You have a winnable game this week. And then the regular season finale, the border war against Lamar out of Beaumont, is the week after. You could end the regular season with three straight wins. That's a bit of a momentum for the offseason. That's a bit of a streak to carry into the offseason for recruiting, for your offseason conditioning program and whatnot. And that would make people feel a lot better about this program heading into year number two of the Gary Golf era. And Golf talked about just the potential of putting together a winning streak to end this season. It'd be fun. It'd be fun, right? <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll take any type of uh, win streak. But, you know, I think it's important to us. It's important to our seniors, uh, important to the team that uh, we, we continue striving to get better in everything we do and, and having, you know, success, having some of these, uh, you know, victories uh, with wins and small victories uh, throughout the week. I th- you know, it's something else that continues to grow. And uh, they, they know what's at stake. We, we know what we're playing for, and, and that, that's uh, for pride right now, and that's for going into the offseason uh, with, with high expectations. And uh, it, it's going to help in everything. It's going to help in, um, you know, offseason, you know, lifting, training, and our recruiting, and going into spring ball for sure. So it's important to us to, to get on a win streak and, um, you know, come away with our, our first road win. Four wins, if they finish out the regular season with three straight wins, they'll have four wins on the season. And at first glance, you're going to be like, eh. Right? If you're not paying attention to what they're doing in Lake Charles with this program, you may be like, eh. But if you pay attention to the program, you see the progression that they've made from week one to now. You see what Coach Golf is trying to do there. Because they've had a couple of coaching hires that were – not great. And that's had just as much of an impact on the state of the program as the Hurricanes did. They got the right guy. They got the guy who's going to be patient. They got the guy who wants to win there, wants to be there, isn't looking to take the first bus out of town. Man, and if they can get something going here at the end of the season... That'd be phenomenal. Getting the start on the road is going to be Ryan Roberts, former LCA star. Now, he was called into duty because they've had several injuries to quarterbacks. Knox Kadem got roughed up, knocked out. Cam Ransom's back on the scout team. They took Walker Wood, who was a quarterback in the spring, turned him into a wide receiver in the summer, and then this season had to turn him back into a quarterback because they needed a quarterback. And then he got injured last week. So they had to turn to the true freshman and said, hey, hey, we need some help. Came in, did a nice job. But now he's going to get his first collegiate start, and he's going to have to do so on the road. And Coach Goff talked about what the expectation should be for Ryan Roberts? Well, I expect the same thing. I mean, um, he's had a good week, you know, but, you know, Ryan never gets, you know, too high or too low. You know, he's pretty much even keel. Maybe that's just from being a coach's son. I'm not sure. But uh, he uh, goes out there and does his job every day and, and really doesn't say two words. So he's, he's a hard worker. So um, I'm excited for him you know, this weekend. I'm excited for him to get back out there. And um, he's having fun. And that's what it's about. 
they're a running football team. Dante McMahon leads the conference in rushing yards. That young man's going to carry the load. They're going to make it easy for the youngster at quarterback. They're going to have a game plan that's going to lend itself to helping the young QB, which is what you're supposed to do. What about Houston Christian? I told you they have struggled just like McNeese has this year. They're towards the bottom in the Southland Conference. But, hey, it's going to be a game day. It's going to be a Saturday in college football. Anything can happen. If you're not focused, you can get caught sleeping. And Golf talked about what Houston Christian, what kind of challenges they're going to present Saturday. You know, offensive, they're a spread team. Um, they're going to spread the ball around. They, um, you know, they throw it about 40 to 50 times a game. You know, um, they, they average about 80 yards rushing a game. You know, so they'll run the ball, you know, a little bit if they have to. But they, they want to put the ball in the air, that's for sure. Um, defensively, you know, they, they like everybody else, they do everything defensively. You know, they'll, they'll play with three safeties. They play with a deep nickel. Um, he's also in the run fit quite a bit. So, um, you know, they're, 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 uh, they're, they're a scrappy team trying to do the same thing. We are, you know, finishing on a high note. Golf's not going to let his team look past them because they do have the rivalry game coming up the week after, which is a big deal for both programs, both Lamar and McNeese. But he also understands the importance here of their two wins this season against Mississippi College and last week against Eastern Illinois were at home. It's important in year number one to be able to get a road victory, to have the kids that are going to be your foundation for the next two, three years in this program to understand what it takes to win on the road. It's a different mentality. It's a different mindset. This is what makes Saturday's game so crucial is, yeah, you're rebuilding, but, man, it'd be great to be able to get that road win and teach the guys how to win on the road in year one and not have to wait till year two for it to happen. Like McNeese chances a lot. I really do. And I like golf as the head coach. Look, they have growing pains. They still have a lot of work to do. And golf will be the first one to tell you that. This is going to take a couple of years to get back where it needs to be. You don't build a program overnight. Not even in the era of the transfer portals. Not how it works. But he has this program headed in the right direction. And for the diehard Cowboy fans in southwest Louisiana, that's all you can really ask for. we got to take a timeout. When we wrap, when we come back rather here on RP3 and Company, we'll wrap up our number one. We'll update that poll question of the day. That's all coming up next right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Lafayette Marble and Granite offers the largest selection of granite quartz and marble here in Acadiana. And look, they appreciate the opportunity to earn your business. As you've heard me tell you numerous times before, Lafayette Marble and Granite LMG provides more than show-stopping marble countertops for your kitchens, your bathrooms, and your man caves. 
LMG also now has an extensive selection of custom shower builds with their new grout-free shower line. That's right. No muss, no fuss, and the best part, don't have to worry about that smelly odor after a couple years that sometimes comes with grout. Make sure to visit Chris and his team's website, lmgelite.com. That's lmgelite.com to learn more about all the sensational services and tremendous products they have to offer. Live inventory is updated every single Wednesday. Once again, visit lmgelite.com or stop by their soon-to-be-renovated showroom located on I-49 North across from Hub City Ford in the Jockey Lot, Lafayette Marble and Granite. They're looking to earn your business, and trust me, earn it, they will. Poll question of the day. We asked you, with last night's win, convincing win, great win for the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, that gets them to five wins now. Two games left, both on the road. Florida State a week from Saturday in Tallahassee, and then two weeks from Saturday in San Marcos, Texas, to take on Texas State. If they get a win they'll in one of those two games, they'll get to six. That means they'll be bowl eligible and I believe they're headed to a bowl game, and I think that bowl game is going to be the Independence Bowl. They've already been linked to the I-Bowl up in Shreveport. Brett McMurphy's reported on that with his bowl projections, and staffers from the Independence Bowl were in the house last night for the Raging Cajuns football game. So our poll question of the day, do you believe they will earn a bowl berth? 75% of you say yes, 25% say no. Look, it's not a done deal. I get that. But if this team plays like they did last night, they're beating Texas State. That's just happening. I'll let you know right now. That's a done deal. Now, can they beat Florida State, who's ranked in the top 25 in the college football playoff rankings? Probably not. But, man... Winning like they did last night, getting one step closer. You love to see it. You love to see the guys fight and respond the way they did. And it was the most complete game they've played all season. Ran the football for a season high. Held the league's top-rated passing offense and top-rated offense to only 17 points. And special teams was special as Kenny kicked a tied, a program record with five field goals. Phenomenal. Phenomenal performance. Their best of the year. On Facebook, Jace Trahan says, yes. Richie Champagne says, no. I love the efficient answers. Brian Guidry says, still a maybe, too inconsistent. That's fair. We've seen this team look good and then turn around and look bad, so we'll see. But now they put themselves in a position, only need to win one game in their final two to be bowl eligible. I sure do feel a lot more confident about that this morning than I did yesterday morning. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave your thoughts, your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. That's going to do it for hour number one. Hour number two, we'll kick it off with James Yasko from the Lima Time Time podcast, talking all things Astros, World Series victory, and look ahead to free agency with James. That's coming up next right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Oh, yeah. 
everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. here on this lovely, slightly chilly Friday morning as we're wrapping up the work week. Hour number one was eventful. Recap the Louisiana Raging Cajuns win over the Georgia Southern Eagles. Convincingly, most complete game the Cajuns have played all year. They get some to five wins, one win short of being bowl eligible with two games to go. We also gave you a little bit of a preview of McNeese playing at Houston Christian, formerly Houston Baptist University. Cowboys are looking for their first conference win of the season. Got a great opponent to do it against this Saturday. But now it's time for us to talk some baseball. Houston Astros, get it done. No losing to an NL East team in the World Series this time around. No, no. None of that. They get the win Dusty Baker gets his World Series championship. Verlander gets a win along the way. And the Strohs win their second World Series title in six years. And now enter free agency with a few question marks, but definitely a team that still will remain a contender because you know they're going to be aggressive. To talk all about that is the man behind the Lima Time Time podcast. He's also a contributor for the Houston Chronicle. James Yasko joins us now. James, good morning to you, brother. Have you stopped smiling and celebrating the Astros' victory yet? Every now and then, I will, over the last, you know, five days, uh, I'll, I'll sit there. Maybe maybe I'm, I'm not in such a great mood, and then I think, I, I think the, the, the game has been turned upside down, and, and, and yeah, that's, that's the end of that bad day. <laughs> it's it's the end of that bet like i am the world series champion we're the world series champions that's all that matters uh, that's all that matters for this team now that uh, essentially nearly a, a week has passed what stood out to you about this team in this world series because they were you know kind of teetering a little bit after that home run display by the phillies as they went up two games to one after the weather delayed game three by a day. I know they threw the combined no-hitter, and that's a great turning point, but after that, it was all Strohs. Yeah, I think that that sort of, you know, it it just sort of became the Astros series. Um, you know, there's a cool story about Michael Brantley kind of pulling everyone in, uh, all the hitters in, uh, after after, what was that, game three? Uh, and and no one really knows what he said, but it seems to have inspired everybody to 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 remember that they were the best team. You know that that um, that it was this was their series, and they weren't going to lose another one. And then they and then they didn't. So, but you know, honestly, it, it sort of comes down to how close the for me, yes, the Astros won it, um, and and we are used to shenanigans uh, in. In the World Series, but you know whether that's the the Nationals or the Braves, but but th- this World Series, while it, it felt it felt good, um, 
it was really it was it was really close. Like how close the Astros came to not win. If, if Jordan doesn't hit that home run and it goes to a game seven, and Bregman has a broken finger and Altuve has a messed up hamstring uh, with no Gurriel, uh, and the possibility of of McCullers having to go again against uh, a team that hit five home runs off of him, you know, the the, the I'm I'm glad they wrapped it up in six. <laughs> Of course you are. You get the job done earlier. Of course you are. What do you think this means to this team to have won this World Series for Dusty Baker? Because he comes into a situation where the Astros are the villains. The former skipper loses his job. The former GM loses his job. They have a target on their back. Everyone hates them from coast to coast. And the old baseball guy is kind of able to kind of deflect, right? And he's able to push through. And he sticks with his guys, and he builds up trust with them. And I I just saw how they mobbed him in the dugout, James. And I just saw how they've talked about him in the days since. Uh, Definitely, they love him. And I I think it meant so much to them to obviously win the World Series, but to win it for Dusty, I think, means a little bit more. Yeah, it got a little it got a little misty when uh, when you had Framber running up to, to to Dusty and saying, "I did it for you." Um, just how how he was able to come in in, a, in, a, in an extremely tumultuous time and and sort of steady the ship a little bit for the Astros. And you know, I mean, I've never heard I I've heard a lot of of negativity for obvious reasons a lot of negativity about the astros as a team but but it's almost like but not 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 you dusty baker like it's it's the you know i hate altuve i hate um korea i hate every absolutely everybody but but not dusty baker like dusty's fine so it's sort of a an odd situation um i guess for that for the haters as the kids would say uh to to just sort of kind of own up to the fact that that it, it took yeah Dusty finally got his ring but it had to be with the Astros and that's that's actually kind of funny to me they make the announcement one year extension they're going to bring it back he he had kind of hinted to people covering the team and to the team that he was looking to to bring it back and try to win another one instead of just riding off in the sunset as a World Series champion he wants to ride off in the sunset as a two-time World Series champion they get the they get the deal done. Not surprised, right? Uh, no, not 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 terrible. I mean, I I kind of thought all season like, if, hey, if they win this, then 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 that that's going to be it for Dusty. Um, but I mean, yeah, no, the process. No one's won back to back World Series since since what ninety eight ninety nine. Um, you know, so so it's that that would that would even further, you know, cement. Not that Dusty's legacy needs to be cemented. But, but that would even further cement it. Yet the man who's the general manager still doesn't have a contract. So as someone... Oh, weird. Oh, it's, it's so weird. So I, obviously the relationship between James Click, the general manager that was brought in to replace Luno, and the owner, Jim Crane, is not the best. It, it's it's it, it, they, they don't see eye to eye. I think... Their philosophies are wildly different, which is odd that the owner would hire someone that doesn't share his same vision. And many times we've thought, okay, well, well, Crane and, I mean, Click and Dusty aren't on the same page. I think it's less to do with that and more to do with the owner and the GM not being on the same page 
What do you make of this whole thing of Click, click having to answer questions to the media and tell them, no, I don't have a contract. <laughs> uh, and letting them know he didn't even know there was a press conference that was called. And he's the GM. <laughs> it, it's it's a little weird. It's a little bizarre. And the guy still doesn't have a contract. His contract actually expired on October 31st. Yeah, no, it's it's unnecessarily weird. Uh, that, 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 that's the thing, is that there's drama where there, where there doesn't need to be drama. And and I think as far as the being on the same page uh, goes, I, I think it's they were on the same page. You know, the the, the crane was put into a weird uh, situation where he had to find a new he had to find a new general manager. You know, after after Luno was let go, and and Click was sort of the obvious. You know, the, the shared the same sort of analytical mindset. Um, but I think over the last couple of years, it's gotten less. Uh, they're 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 now currently reading different books, and from what I understand, it has to do with with Crane. You know, he he wants to be seen as a big market. You know, the the Astros are one of the big boys, and he wants that to be reflected. While Click has sort of stayed to this Tampa Bay mindset, uh, and it's it's all I think we've joked. You know that that Click doesn't doesn't really understand that he no he's not in Tampa he can spend money like it's okay to go go get the guy that you want you don't necessarily have to get the great value version of, of whatever player you actually do want so I think that's where the split has come in the in the last couple of years that the click isn't aggressive enough isn't splashy enough for Jim Crane we're talking with James Yasko host of the Lima Time Time podcast also a contributor for the Houston Chronicle he joins us here on RP3 and company talking all things Astros Okay, do you believe a deal gets done here, or could the Astros and the owner, uh, Jim Crane, being uh, going to be hiring a new GM? You know, the worst case scenario is that Jim Crane turns into Jerry Jones, um, and because where Crane has had the most success is by being the owner and signing the checks, and you let your front office go to work. Uh, if Crane thinks that you know, he can he can handle this offseason, then then you know I don't think that means anything you know, drastic in the short term, but in the long term, it absolutely does. Um, but I honestly think that the Click's future determine it, it, it sort of depends on who can Jim Crane get, you know, because I'm he's, you know, he's looking, he's looking around for a different GM. If he can find one, then, then I think he'll pull the trigger. If he can't, uh, or there's one that that's not as, you know, if he, at the end of the day, if he's like, well, I, I tried to replace you, but I couldn't find anybody better. So here you go. Here's your contract. Um, then I think you know either either case or is is that's that's sort of a fifty fifty for me right now. Which is interesting because you know Major League Baseball free agency began yesterday at four p.m. Yeah, <laughs> and you think you would have your GM in place here to be able to handle this? Obviously, Crane feels like he can negotiate these deals by himself. So we'll see if he can do that or not. Verlander opts out, not surprising by that. He probably wants a three-year deal with a fourth-year option. But a lot of reports are that he wants to stay in Houston, and Crane himself says he wants JV, that's the top priority, is to keep him in Houston. Will they be able to keep Verlander in Houston? Well, if you don't have a GM to tell you not to give a 40-year-old, uh, a, four-year con- you know, a four-year contract, then then yeah, that's, that's definitely... If Crane is the one... <laughs> if Crane is the one that wants Verlander, and 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 he and I, I don't think that these two things are unrelated. You still don't 
really have a GM, I do think they get a job done uh, or they, that they get a deal done. Um, so, you know, I think, I think it's, it's up to what, what kind of check is, is Jim Crane willing to sign and, and no, you know, having a feel for Crane, I, I, I think he'll, he'll basically give Verlander a check and be like, just write the, write the amount on that line and, and we'll take care of the rest. On one hand, Verlander is coming off a great season, one of his best. He's going to win the Cy Young. He finally gets over the hump, wins a World Series game. But on the same hand, you got other guys that are ready to step up, and you can make the argument that Valdez kind of established himself as the team's ace this season. But obviously, if you want to get JV back, that's fine. You'd love to have him back. You're going to overpay for him, though. I mean, because because the market, someone's going to give JV a three-year deal with a fourth-year option, which is going to be close to $100 million. We know this. Despite being 39 and coming off of Tommy John, he's going to get that. Somebody's going to overpay this offseason for a front-line starting pitching. Yeah, no, that, that's absolutely. Uh, and I think, you know, Crane knows that. Uh, and, and I think that, that, that I don't think Crane lets it get to that point. You know, and I do think that Verlander's, you know, he's getting, you know he's getting offers. Um, but there's probably some sort of agreement with the, that they've all that Crane and Verlander have already established where Crane will kind of have a chance to match or or better it a little bit. So I I, I do think a, a deal gets done simply because like Crane wants Verlander. Crane doesn't have a G. There's no one to tell Crane no at this point. Does that mean we could also see them be aggressive while their GM is still in limbo? Aggressive getting a power hitting outfielder and a power hitting first baseman which they need uh, you know click tried to do it on the cheap by trading for mancini that didn't work out at first base yuli's a free agent as well you want to bring yuli back probably but you know you're going to have to get another guy at first could they make some type of push and go after one of the free agent slugging first basemen, or try to trade for somebody yeah i i, I think the 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 free agent again without it without an actual GM, I think the the free agent path is the most likely for the for the, for the Astros. The thing is, like if, if you are if you are a, a GM candidate for the Astros and you see what sort of how Click has been treated by Crane, uh, and 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 seeing that you've got a, an owner that is that is signing managers that is making deals without the front office's input. Um, is Houston an attractive place to, to be if, if you're going to be the GM knowing that, that you kind of have an owner that that maybe oversteps a little bit like that that's one of the things that I'm curious about but the free agent route is the most likely until a, a, a GM is in place whether that's click or whether that's David Stearns or Sigmeidel or whoever whoever comes in is Jose Abreu on the top of that list for first baseman for them to target he's he's got to be he's he's got to be at the at the top, you know, top top two or three, um, you know, I think G-Man Choi would have been would have been a pretty good a pretty good move for the Astros, but but he got traded. And the Astros have been kind of working on a G-Man Choi deal for for a while, um, but that's sort of off the table now. So yeah, I think you look at Abreu and 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 I think Abreu would be open to it given the sort of the the culture of Cuban players that that the Astros have established with Gurriel and Diaz and Jordan. Are they going to be in the market to go get themselves another hitting outfielder? So, I, I feel like I'm, I'm kind of copying and pasting uh, some of some of these, but 
you know, if, if, if Crane is calling the shots and, and, and he is the only one with, with input, then, then they're going to go get whoever they want. Uh, you've got a guy with deep pockets that, that has a couple of World Series and, and is trying to sort of establish this dynasty in Houston, um, and, and he's got unlimited, unlimited checks. So if okay. Whoever Jim, okay. Whoever Jim, yeah. Jay, I'm gonna stop you right there. Okay, because you're saying that you're just copy and pasting. Look, it's the off season for you. Okay, I get it. I get it. You know, you already won the World <laughs> Series. Okay. Does that mean though that because there's no GM to keep him in check, that he could go target a particular slugging outfielder that wears the pinstripes? I think. That one, that would be so hilarious. I mean, you would like they, the the sea levels would rise from Yankee tears. Like there would be there would be minor flooding along the coastline uh, if the Astros signed Aaron Judge. Uh, however, I think that's that's pricier than because here's the thing about Crane: he doesn't do long term free agent deals. That's why I think Jose Abreu could because he's Abreu is what I'm. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this number and I and I have absolutely no idea what 36 37 35. Okay. Um, so you're so close. 35. Yeah. He's not he's he's not looking for a 10 year deal. You know. So Crane has been very clear, and that's been a front office mo for a while that you don't sign free agents to longer than five years. Um, Judge is going to be looking for for Lindor money, uh, or or more you know between Lindor and Trout money. And and you know, does he deserve that? I'm, that's debatable, but but I, it's too long of a contract for Jim Crane. So I don't I don't think Judge is in play. What about another Yankee, Anthony Rizzo? He could play first base for y'all. That that's again it, deter, it it depends on how long of a contract Rizzo is looking for. Um, if if he's a, if he's good with a with a four year deal with a fifth year option, um, you know that's that's definitely a possibility. If, if he's looking for eight, nine, ten years, it's, I, I don't think it's going to happen in Houston. We'll wrap it up with this. How long before we start seeing moves being made by the Astros with free agency? When, when, when do you think, when do your sources, rather, James, since you're a contributor for the Houston Chronicle, when are you expecting some moves to be made, either minor or major, for the Strohs? All my sources got fired after the trash can thing dropped, so I don't I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Um, you know, that's if Crane wants to, wants to get things done without a, without one of those meddling GMs, then it, it could be quick. Uh, but I think he knows he can't, you can't go too deep into an off season without having a, an actual GM. Um, so I can see Crane, you know, making a move maybe two for an Abreu type player, you know, before, before settling on, on who's going to run the front office. But, I, I, who knows? I mean, get, what Garrett Cole didn't sign until January that the twenty twenty. That you know that's that's it's, it's, the off season is so weird from a year to year basis that it's it's hard to predict. Bud, enjoy your weekend, my friend. Stress free weekend for the Yaskos. Yes, I'm gonna I'm gonna sleep so hard. You have you <laughs> just have no like this week's been crazy for other reasons, but this weekend is not as crazy as so. OU does. It doesn't matter what OU does. I don't care. Uh, it, 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 everyone, everyone's granted a pass. Uh, they, they get, you can, you get leave this weekend. <laughs> Enjoy your weekend, brother. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs> All right. Have a good one. James Yasko, diehard Astro fan. That's good. Diehard Oklahoma Sooner fan. 
Not so much. <laughs> Not so much for him. But it's that's an interesting part of this for the Strohs. No GM in place. No one to tell the owner no. Owner wants to write a check. He's going to write a check. That's how that's going to work. We got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up. We'll update that poll question of the day. You look, we want to get your phone calls in. Give us a holler. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. You're listening to RP3 and company right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. RP3 is the epitome of a high roller, constantly making large bets. But by doing that, the minimum bet is a dollar for a win, a dollar for a place, a dollar for a show. So it's essentially a $3 bet. That netted me a cool $6.70. What? Okay, so he's not a risk taker. He's your best bet for sports talk. 19. Hit me. 20. Hit me. 21. Hit me. 22. Now back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Seven twenty-eight on this Friday morning. Welcome back to RP3 and Company. About halfway through the show, we got some great stuff still coming up. Half an hour from right now, Corey Diaz, the Raging Cajuns beat reporter for the Daily Advertiser, will hop on and help us recap that great victory for the Raging Cajuns last night. And that leads us to our poll question of the day: Cajuns are now at five wins with two games to go. They get to six. That means they're bowl eligible, which means more than likely they'll be headed to the Independence Bowl in Shreveport. Now, last night they played a complete game, their best game of the season. Can they do it again? Look, if they played like they did last night, when they excelled in all three phases of the game, special teams, phenomenal. Kenny Amadeus, record-tying five-field goal performance. Defense, lights out. Holds the number one ranked offense in the league to only 17 points. And they ran the ball for a season-high 242 yards. That's the recipe for success for the Raging Cajuns football team. If they play like they did last night, they're going to be bowl eligible. Make no bones about it. The question is, can they because we haven't seen them play that way consistently? Now, last night, their backs were against the wall. Had to win. Final home game of the season. They got Florida State a week from Saturday. That's more than likely going to be a loss, which means they're going to be 5-6 and six heading into the game at Texas State, the regular season finale in San Marcos. If they play like they did last night, if they play like they did against Marshall, if they played like they did against Arkansas State, they will win that game and win it easily. But we haven't seen them string together multiple games like that. We've seen them have flashes, but we haven't seen them play at that level consistently. They've shown their potential. Marshall, last night against Georgia Southern. Second half against Southern Miss. Three 
quarters, the first three quarters against Troy. So they'll have to be, you know, they're going to be painted in a corner when and you get into a bowl game. That's how it's going to boil down to two weeks from Saturday. That leads us to our poll question of the day. Will the Louisiana Raging Cajuns earn a bowl berth? Only 62% of you say yes to this poll question of the day. 38% of you still <clears throat> still have some trepidation saying no. Ralph on Twitter says, sadly, I do not. They'll probably have to beat a Texas State team that's that's better than its record and 3-1 and one at home. Afraid that ULM loss will come back to bite them. That said, pulling for them. The Cure Bowl in Orlando would be a perfect spot for fans as he shared a gif of Disney trip. We'll see. Texas State is good at home. Once again, it's not going to be easy. The Cajuns did that to themselves. Letting the game get away from them against Troy. Letting the ULM game get away from them. Right there, you win either one of those games, you're not in this position. You're already bowl eligible heading into the regular season finale in San Marcos. Keep those votes coming for the poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. Also, it's Veterans Day. If you haven't done so yet, take a moment to thank those brave men and women who have been in service in the United States military. Give them a thank you. Tell them thank you. Doesn't have to be over the top. Doesn't have to be a big, boisterous celebration. Just simply give them a simple thank you. Give them a handshake. And thank them for their service. I nearly joined the military three times. Even went through the physical process. Nearly went. Decided against it. At the last minute. My brother, on the other hand, did not. Both of my brothers actually served in the United States Army. And my brother Michael served 10 years and did three tours overseas in Iraq and Afghanistan. Nothing makes me prouder than my brother serving his country. Both my grandfather served in the military as well. So take the time out. Make it a point today for those loved ones in your life, family and friends that have served in the armed services, call them up, text them, post something on Facebook, thanking them for their service. They deserve it. We got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up. Phone lines are open. Game hotline 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. You're listening to The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and you're home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros. You know how some fellas don't care how they look? I mean, a few of you are rocking sweatpants that haven't been washed in days. Ew. Not to worry, my dear unkempt friend. RP3 and company is a judgment-free zone. Hell, sometimes these guys don't even wear pants. I would like to extend to you an invitation to the pants party. Excuse me? The... Party the pants with the pants. Party with pants. Now back to the hopefully fully clothed RP3 on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 
here in Louisiana, there are thousands of miles of utility lines and gas pipelines buried just beneath the surface. Sometimes multiple lines are in one area. So if you or your contractor that you've hired is digging a hole to put in a new fence, privacy, chain length, really doesn't matter, pool, in ground, above ground, maybe a gazebo, maybe a garden, it does not matter. Because here's the deal. You run the risk of hitting an underground line by digging only a few inches. What happens then? Maybe only knock the power out for your entire neighborhood, but sometimes there's an explosion with injuries and even death. It happens every single year, and there's a very simple way to avoid it. Before you dig, call 811. Call 811 two days before you dig. Tell the operator your address, and someone's going to come out and mark the location of buried lines so you or your contractor can avoid them. It's simple, it's free of charge, and it's the law. Louisiana 811 operates 811 as a public service. And to promote public safety, Louisiana 811 and the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, wants to remind you, call 811 and know what's below before you dig. We spent a lot of time this morning talking about college. Raging Cajuns, big win over the Eagles of Georgia Southern last night, getting them closer to being bowl eligible. We've talked about the Meanies Cowboys looking to get their first road win of the season on Saturday at Houston Christian, formerly known as Houston Baptist. They did a name change after the season began, by the way. That's why I keep repeating that, because it's caused uh, some confusion. Just just a little bit. They're like, who's that? RP, who's this, who's this school? It's it's what used to be Houston Baptist. <laughs> just, just, just what used to be Houston Baptist. But we haven't spent a lot of time talking about the NFL. And we're going to touch base on that train wreck that is the Saints season so far, as well as the atrocity that was the Thursday night football game. Oh, man. Panthers, Falcons. Woof. Just so, man, it's so bad. They're so bad. The NFC South is just so terrible. Panthers win last night 25-15 to because somebody had to win the game. There was a moment in this game that I thought to myself, oh, this is going to end in a tie. Or maybe this is what we deserved is to have this game end in a tie because it is just that bad. I don't know what Marcus Mariota was doing in this ballgame. I don't know what anyone was doing in this ballgame. The fact that 40 points were scored is a miracle. Mariota, 19 of 30 for 186 yards, did have two touchdowns, but had that terrible pick. He was sacked five times. But you look at the numbers, just a glance. Okay, two touchdown passes, nearly 200 yards passing. They ran the ball for 138 yards. Mariota led them with 43. But that's it. Nothing. They only managed 15 points. Is there a more overrated player in the NFL, a guy that came in with so much hype out of college that is yet to really do anything than Kyle Pitts, the tight end for the Dirty Birds? That guy doesn't do anything. Guy doesn't get open, doesn't win one-on-one battles is a non-factor, just absolutely non-factor. Can't do anything. It's unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. 
Guy's a total dud. They spent like a top five pick on Kyle Pitts. Ugh. Panthers, meanwhile, they did enough with Walker. How far has Baker Mayfield fallen? Seriously. Guy can't even beat out Walker to be the starting quarterback for the Panthers. But Walker did enough. I mean, he didn't do anything himself. 10 of 18 for 108 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. The starting quarterback for the winning team in the Thursday night football game, I'll say it for you again in case you're just tuning in. Walker threw for 108 yards and no touchdowns. And they won the game. It helps Foreman rush for 130 yards. They scored two touchdowns on the ground, but man, oh man, oh man. Joe Horn's son had a pick in this game. Just not good. Four field goals, 25-15. Mediocre quarterback play in this ball game. But the Panthers actually did the Saints a favor. By beating Atlanta, that drops the Falcons down to four and six. Which means with a win on Sunday, the Saints could be tied for first in the NFC South. Think about that for a second. Think about that for a second. It's unbelievable. Just unbelievable how bad they are. Absolutely unbelievable how bad they are. Saints, they look, they they absolutely stunk it up against the Baltimore Ravens. After looking good for really the first time all season, a complete game against the Raiders the week prior, they absolutely laid an egg against Baltimore on Monday. Struggled in so many regards. Defense, offense, special teams, you name it. They were awful. Didn't get Taysom Hill the ball enough. Didn't get Alvin Kamara the ball enough. They just didn't do anything right. And now they get to go on the road and play Pittsburgh. Now, for the Saints, the Steelers stink as well. They have no real no playmakers. They have a rookie quarterback out there that's still learning how to play in the NFL. They don't have the dominant defense as they once did. They're in a bit of a rebuild mode, moving on from Big Ben after he retired. But yet, it's on the road. It's at Pittsburgh. The Saints always struggle with a rookie quarterback. Always do. Last 10 years plus, rookie quarterback usually has their best game of the season against the Saints for whatever reason. Even when the Saints have a top 10 defense, borderline top five defense, rookie quarterback, don't know how to play them. Every time. Every time. Chris Richard on staff, on the defensive staff for the Saints, understands that. And he also understands that Pittsburgh, they may be young at wide receiver with Johnson and Pickens, but those guys are talented guys. They're still developing, but they're talented guys. And he talked about the challenge of going up against that wide receiver combo. Yeah, no question. Yeah, no question. So, uh, again, really talented core um again good quickness and speed you know obviously pickens is a is a you know, power powerful again, jump ball type run very very similar to claypool and you know obviously again the organization has moved on from from claypool but you can see again, 
14 kind of moving into that role, right? Again, the bigger body, and not so much in, in regards to all the fly sweeps and things of that nature, but it, it, as far as the routes, right? Again, going downfield, the intermediate routes and all the vertical routes on the outside. So you, know, you got to put yourself in the face, and then you have to know it's going to be a physical contest. Um, again, a lot of pushing, shoving, sho shoving and, and, and jostling for position. There, there's no question about it. So it's ball combat time for sure. They're going to have their hands full. Doesn't look like Marshawn Lattimore is going to be able to go Sunday again. So they're going to be shorthanded again in the secondary. But they will be getting P.J. Williams back. And P.J. is a veteran. He's also versatile. He can line up at safety and at cornerback for them. So they can utilize him in, in multiple ways. And Richard talked about the impact of being able to have a versatile veteran like that back in the lineup. Yeah, there's, again, there's, there's a level of experience that kind of comes along and an understanding for how we do things. And I say he's, he's been here throughout the gamut, right? So he, he's seen the ups and downs. He understands all the nuances of our defense. So, yeah, having him back, is, it, it, it should help in regards to communication and execution. Mentioned Kenny Pickett, the rookie out of Pittsburgh. That's right. He played his college ball at Pittsburgh and then gets drafted in the first round by the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's had an up-and-down season. The Steelers are one of the few teams that hasn't had a scoring pass play of more than 20 yards. The only team in the NFL not to have that. <laughs> I mean, think about that for a second. Think about that for a second. That's unbelievable to me. The Pittsburgh Steelers don't have – they're the only team without a touchdown of at least – I'm sorry, I, I said it wrong. My apologies. The Pittsburgh Steelers, as it stands right now, are the only team in the National Football League without a touchdown of at least 15 yards. That's it. They haven't had a touchdown pass of at least 15 yards. They're the only team in the NFL not to have that. They're the first team to not have a touchdown of more than 15 yards in a season through the first nine weeks since 2000. That's as far back as the data goes. <laughs> so, even though they have two really talented wide receivers, that's why I was telling you, they're still learning how to play. They're young, and they got a young quarterback in Kenny Pickett who is not known for throwing the deep ball, who's not known for, you know, you're not facing Lamar Jackson, you're not facing Joe Burrow here, but Richard talked about what Pickett brings to the table. Well, he's, he's I think he's doing a really good job of understanding the coverage and, and how to attack it. So it's a, the universal thought and mindset is if you see single high, the ball goes outside the numbers. And if you see too high, the ball should be going inside the numbers. And uh, I, I think he's done a really good job of kind of understanding the difference between the two and then looking to attack these certain parts of the field, but then also understanding and recognizing when he has soft and off corners and still being able to attack the perimeter there. So rush, coverage, disguise is still going to be important to affecting this guy. There's no doubt about it, but uh, he's, he's done a, a pretty good job of recognizing Saints at Steelers Sunday. They're going to be tested. They desperately need to win. But I'm getting very close. Once again, all transparency, I'm not a Saints fan. But we're getting dangerously close of stop. We have to stop moving the goalposts back with this whole notion of, well, hey, they're only a game out of the division. Oh, they can win the division. 
the division's trash. And they can't even lead a trash division right now. And nothing suggests that they're going to be able to do so until they actually prove it on the field. Should they beat the Steelers? Yeah. Will they beat Pittsburgh? Eh, I don't know. I'm leaning towards no. We'll see, though. We'll find out Sunday. We'll talk more about the Saints when Ryan Hinton, better known as Dat Boy Wolf, joins us from the Saints Twitter podcast. That'll be coming up at 8.30 this morning. Right now, we got to take a timeout. We'll wrap up hour number two. That's all coming up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. You can listen to all your favorite Christmas classics or local Cajun Christmas songs on the Louisiana Christmas Channel. That's nonstop Christmas music 24-7. We're talking Nat King Cole, Bing Crosby, all the great ones, Peggy Lee, Elvis, Dean Martin. You want them? They're there. 24-7 on the Louisiana Christmas Channel. You can listen live at lachristmaschannel.com. That's lachristmaschannel.com. Or download the free mobile app on both Apple and Android devices. And you can listen on your Amazon Alexa as well. So listen to some holiday cheer with the Louisiana Christmas Channel. Poll question of the day. Let's check in on it, shall we, before we wrap up. Our number two here on RP3 and Company. We asked you after last night's win for the Raging Cajuns, will the Louisiana Raging Cajuns earn a bowl berth? 63% of you say yes, 37% say no. Keep those votes coming. Keep those comments coming like Doug's here. He says they can if they finish the season like they finished the game last night. Running game opened up the passing game. Defense played lights out. Great game. You see their potential. You saw it against Marshall. You saw it against Arkansas State. You saw it again last night against Georgia Southern. They should get to six wins and be able to go bowling. It'll be left up to them whether or not they can make that happen. They have the potential. It's all about reaching it. I believe Coach Dez's team can do so in two weeks when they have to go to San Marcos to take on Texas State. We'll talk more about the Louisiana Raging Cajuns' big win last night with the man who covers them for the Daily Advertiser, Corey Diaz. He will be joining us next right here on RP3 and Company. You're listening to The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Eight oh three on a Friday morning as we wrap up the work week in style coming up half an hour from right now ryan hinton better known as that boy wolf from the saints twitter podcast will be joining us for the big easy blitz looking ahead to the saints steelers game 
Whew, that could be a bit of a stinker. <laughs> Ryan's not a stinker. The interview will be fine. The matchup, eh, not so, not not so good. Also coming up this hour, fantasy football advice from our expert, former RP3 and Company Fantasy Football League champion Zach Miller. But right now, it's time for us to talk Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Convincing win, a dominant win, possibly their most complete game this season. Five field goals kicked by Kimmy Almaderas, who's had a rough go of it this season. The defense holds the Sun Belt Conference's top scoring offense, top passing offense to only 17 points. And the offense rushed for 242 yards as the Cajuns get to win number five, now only needing one in their last two games to get to bowl eligibility. To break it all down for us is the man who covers the Raging Cajuns for the Daily Advertiser, Mr. Corey Diaz joins us now. Corey, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? What's going on, man? I'm doing well. How are you guys? I am doing great. All right, let's go back to last night's game. I, I For me, watching it from afar... It felt to me that the game turned in that sequence after they threw a pick in the end zone. Georgia Southern marches down pretty easily 96 yards to tie up the ball game. And then the Cajuns automatically respond, only need a minute 15 to go down and reclaim the lead, and they never looked back. Was that the turning point in this ball game for you, Corey? Uh, well, for me, for me, Raymond, I actually think it was a little. Um, it was um, it was right there before half, honestly. Um, you know, I, I think at the time, you know, I think Georgia Southern they were driving. I think they were right around entering the red zone. Um, you know, could have could have pulled within. Um, I think it was pulled within a touchdown there at half. Um, you know, and really kept you know Louisiana within arm's reach. Um, you know, and Andre Jones just blows by his blocker off the edge, causes the strip sack, and, and Mason Narcisse picks it up and returns it back to the 50, and I think there was 33 seconds to go um, in the half, um, and they go down and, and get points for the for halftime there. That, that, to me, was a situation that I felt like I've watched this team be in at least three other times before this year, but have come away with zero points. I remember in, in the Eastern Michigan game, they, you know, uh, the Cajuns had an opportunity, uh, you know, because they were down 28 to nothing at that point. They had an opportunity right there before half to get some points uh, before going into the locker room, and, and they ended up coming away with zero. Uh, so that, to me, uh, really more than anything, I guess, was a, a signal of, you know, maybe this is a this is a team tonight that's far more determined um, to – you know, not let these situations completely pass them by because I think that's been one of the biggest bugaboos for this team has been, you know, they'll get they'll get in the red zone and, and whether it's, you know, attempting to go for it on fourth down or, or, you know, have a, you know, get sacked on third down or what have you and maybe be just far enough outside of field goal range to, to, to have Kenny Almondares come in and, and comfortably make one. That last night it looked like it was it was a handful of opportunities that we've seen this team be in before where they didn't quite get over the hump, but last night in every single chance they were able to to take that next step, and I think that's why they. I think that's the biggest reason why they won uh, by almost 20 points last night. And you hold a team that came in averaging more than 35 points a game. You, you hold them to to half of what they normally put up against teams. I mean, it was a, like you mentioned there at the top uh, RP3. I mean, it, I thought it was their most complete effort 
uh, last night, and it, and, it, and it resulted in a big win. Kenny has had a rough go of it all season. Lost a job in camp, then has to come off the bench, does fairly well, then starts missing kicks, and he missed a few that could have been the, you know, could have changed the outcome of the game on Saturday against Troy. Dez is a loyal guy. He believes in his players, and he trusted Kenny last night to make sure those drives ended up with points, ties a program record with five field goals. That's 15 points just by the kicker alone right there on what he did, and that really ends up being the difference in this ballgame. Uh, what did you make of what you saw from Kenny's last night and the fact that Dez still had faith in him to be able to go out there and do his job? Yeah, I think, um, you know, obviously the the, the, the the abridged version of the background here, right, is that, um, you know, Dez said a few weeks ago that the uh, assumption by him and the coaching staff was, was that when they opened preseason practice that, you know, Kenny was going to be the place kicker. That was going to be his job. And um, and he just didn't perform consistently enough during practice um, to really seal up that position, and that's why in the first you know th- three or four weeks of this season, you know we did see uh, some of Preston Stafford out there kicking some um, you know some kicks, and um, but you know Kenny, I think you know in, in the few times that we've <laughs> we've visited with him, he just he's almost kind of like Ben Wooldridge in a way. He doesn't seem like he gets too down or too high doesn't seem like he gets rattled by anything seems like he's a very uh stable you know guy as it pertains to you know whether he makes a kick or misses a kick he doesn't really you know there's no emotional roller coaster for him he just kind of stays about his business um and you know des mentioned last night too and i I think it's big right is that you put more pressure on the opposing team to have to uh execute and be efficient offensively when you can go down and end drives with points, whether it's three points, six points plus PAT to to make it seven. If you end drives with points, if the other team is continually having to look up at the scoreboard and going, okay, now we're down 12. Okay. Now we're down 19. It, 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 it changes the opposing team's mindset, you know, and it puts more pressure onto them and, and, uh, you know, Kenny played a big part last night in, in UL continually a- applying the pressure on what we thought coming in and what we had seen in the weeks prior that was a very efficient, almost almost methodical passing offense. Um, it, it, it seemed to have been just a little too much pressure on them, you know, to uh, be able to to, remain, to maintain that consistency that we've seen in the weeks prior to this game, and and uh, the Eagles looked like they were just they were just a little too hurried. We're talking with Corey Diaz of the Daily Advertiser. He covers the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Kenny was great. Took care of things. Ben Woolridge overcame that pick in the end zone, and it, he did a nice job last night with the passing game. But I want to talk about the run game. Um, it, is the difference it, Jax Harrington was back in the lineup last night, right? Yeah, yeah, he was. Is it as simple as when this offensive line is healthy that they can perform this way? I mean, because it feels like when they have their guys out there, they they perform their best. But the last couple of weeks, Jax was banged up, back again, and that seemed to made a huge difference last night against the Georgia Southern Eagles. 
Well, Raymond, I, I think more than that, I, I think it's honestly, um, I think this is a situation where you had, you know, at the beginning of the year, if you go, if you go back 10 games, um, you know, uh, you know, Jack's Harrington, right. He's a, I mean, he's a redshirt freshman. This is his first time, you know, really starting, uh, you know, Nathan Thomas at, at, you know, left tackle, you know, that's a sophomore who, who played a little bit last year, but, but didn't really get a whole lot of starts. Uh, David Hudson at, at, at center, you know, I know a guy that's been in the program for what seems like 10 years, um, but you know, not an, a guy that doesn't have a lot of starts under his belt. I mean, you're looking at guys that were really getting significant playing time for the first time in their careers. And you're having to put these guys side by side along the offensive line. And, you know, I, I guess we all just, you know, expect, okay, that's the five best. So they're going to go out there and they're going to, they're going to perform consistently uh, every single week. And, and with the offensive linemen, I just don't think that's quite how it works. But I think what we've seen now, you know, in the last four games, last night was the third time in four games that the offense has rushed for more than 200 yards. And obviously that's the first time they've been able to do that this year. So I think what we're seeing is I think we're really just seeing kind of what results from, uh, you know, snaps during practice together. Uh, obviously game reps together. I think we're seeing a more consistent unit up front on the offensive line. And um, I think, you know, guys like obviously Chris Smith and, and Draylon Washington and Terrence Williams and, and, and yeah, and we have to credit what Des has asked of, of Wooldridge in the run game as well, because I do think that's been a bit of a catalyst the last couple of weeks because it's added another element to the offense that defenses are going to have to prepare for now. And, and yeah, he, he doesn't run the ball a dozen times a game, but when he runs it, just like last night, I think there was a, I think there was a third or second or third and 10 that, that Ben on the zone read kept the ball and he rushes for the first down. I mean, when he keeps it and he runs, it's usually for a substantial gain. Um, and so I, I just think, I think we're, I think we're seeing just a, a, a culmination of, the work that the offensive line, along with the running backs, um, you know, just that work that they've put in through, uh, you know, over two and a half months now to be able to get to this point in the year where, you know, now their backs against the wall, they're in muscling situations in order to get to a bowl game and, and they're delivering. Special teams did its job. Offense did its job. Let's talk about the defense that, that front line in particular, Zion Hill Green, Andre Jones, they got after him. They pressured him. They disrupted that offense. Uh, they held the league's top-scoring offense to only 17 points. What stood out to you being there in the press box more than anything about how they game plan for Georgia Southern? Well, the you know the, I think the biggest the biggest aspect about what uh, Georgia Southern does offensively is they're they're an offense and an attack that's very predicated on playing in space. Um, you know, we we called them uh, you know stretch run plays, right? You know, air quotes stretch run plays, right? Where basically quarterback you know feels the snap, takes a turn and, and throws it left or right, and that's you know that's kind of how they run the football, right? They just it's quick screens out to the outside. You know, you hope. They hope their guys matches up with the other team, you know, cornerbacks and what have you to block downfield, and that's how they kind of open up their run lanes. But uh, to me, man, I just thought, and what's even more impressive is that this was coming off of a five-day, <laughs> you know, a five-day break between games. But I thought UL's defense 
was just lightning fast last night. I thought that, you know, in those open field situations, not only did they close, but they finished. And I think that's something that they struggled against Roy with uh, in the fourth quarter. I think that's something that they struggled with, um, you know, against, uh, uh, you know, just some of the other losses that they had earlier this year. Um you know, a ULM, you know, is a, is a place where I think they, they struggled in space to, to close and finish on guys. And um, I think this was a, a defense that um, I don't know if, if disrespected is the right word. I think they may have felt a little slighted, you know, because I think a lot, of the, a lot of the buzz and conversation coming into this game was, wow, Georgia Southern's offense is, is highly, uh, you know, is highly efficient and very potent and can score on any play. And, uh, you know, Andre Jones talked a little bit about this after the game last night. He said, well, you know, we kind of felt like they hadn't seen a defense like us. And, um, and, and I don't know if that's necessarily true, but obviously UL did win that battle last night. They get to five wins now. They have two games left. Uh, already getting reports that the Independence Bowl – has targeted the Louisiana Raging Cajuns to come be part of their bowl if they get bowl eligible because there's not going to be enough teams to fill the bowls. So even though it may not be a Sunbelt-affiliated bowl, the Cajuns will go bowling if they get to six wins, and the Independence Bowl officials were even in the house last night for the game. Two games left at Florida State and then at Texas State. They've been so up and down all season, Corey. Does last night's game change your opinion on whether or not this team is going to, to go to a bowl game or not? <laughs> I knew you were going to ask this. Uh, <laughs> well, it's it's as if we've known each other for years. Uh, you know. <laughs> I mean, listen. Uh, you know, what, uh, a month and a half ago, I think you and I may have talked before the ULM game, and I probably came on your show, RP3, and said, no way they're going up to Monroe and losing. They're not going to do that. And guess what? They did it. No way they're going to lose in Houston at Rice. I mean, they're the more talented team, eh, but they went there and they lost. Uh, no way they go up to Marshall on a Wednesday night in that tough environment and beat a thundering hurt team that was just a couple of weeks removed from beating a Notre Dame team in South Bend. But they did. I, I don't know, man. Like, all I know is, is that, you know, this is my first year on this beat, my first year on this football program. I think I've just developed this, this mindset, Raymond, of uh, I'm just – you just have to go play-by-play play with this team. I mean, I don't – I. I don't know who they are. Uh, <laughs> and it's taken me 10 games to realize that, like, I don't know who they are. Um, I mean, they, you know, they, obviously their backs were against the wall last night, and, and they stepped up in a, in a big, big way. Um, and so maybe they can, they can bottle that up and take that with them to San Marcos in two weeks. When uh, I think uh, I think it's safe to say that they won't win in Tallahassee next weekend. Florida State seems to be on absolute tear right now, um, and obviously, in every sense of the word, they will they will outclass you know what Louisiana will have on the field offensively, defensively, at just about every position. So, um, so you're sitting five and six, and you go into Texas State again. Your back's against the walls. Basically, going to be the exact same mentality as they had last night going into that game against Georgia Southern. I mean, precedent does tell us that they will rise to the occasion and they will they will pull it off and they'll win. Um, 
that's probably where I'm leaning right now is that they probably do win at Texas State and get that sixth win. And and uh, I think for all intents and purposes, probably does end up in Shreveport uh, during bowl season. Um, but at the same time, Raymond, I say all that, and if you were call me in a couple weeks and you say, well, let's talk about this loss at Texas State, I go, yeah, no, I'm not surprised to hear that either. So um, <laughs> it, it could go either way, but uh, I think right now the, the higher percentage is, is probably – in the bag of, of this team getting getting that sixth win in San Marcos and uh, ultimately getting a you know a bid into the Independence Bowl. Everything's coming together for a return to Shreveport for Mr. Diaz. I can't wait to be there to see it all. We're, we're, we'll have to we'll have to do the show from the blackjack table in the horseshoe. <laughs> <laughs> oh my my man my man Corey, appreciate your time brother enjoy uh your weekend my friend we'll talk to you soon bud appreciate you brother y'all take care that's Corey diaz from the daily advertiser joining us talking all things louisiana raging cajuns my man spent years covering la tech and grambling so shreveport is in his wheelhouse how funny is that his first year on the beat they actually may end up playing in the bowl game that is held in Treefort. we got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and company, though, it'll be time for some fantasy football advice from our guy Zach Miller. That's next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. RP3 doesn't play around when it comes to his personal life. I got one NFL team. I got one college team. I got one Major League Baseball team. And the big fella's also monogamous when it comes to his sports fandom. That's what I got my merch for. That's who I support. Period. Call me old-fashioned. The end. Call me old-fashioned. That's fine. I'll be old-fashioned. RP3 is just committed to providing you with great sports talk here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana. Sports Station. Oh, you got to tune in Saturday for not one but two exciting LSU contests. It all starts with the LSU football team playing on the road at Arkansas in the battle for the Golden Boot Trophy. Pre-game begins at 9 a.m., kickoff set for 11 o'clock. Then later that day, the LSU men's basketball team takes on Arkansas State inside the PMAC. Pre-game begins at 4.30, and tip is set for 5. That's right, football, oops, doubleheader, purple and gold. You can listen to it all live right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day. Do you think the Raging Cajuns are going to get to a bowl game this year? Two games left. Only need one more win after last night's convincing victory over Georgia Southern. Go vote and leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. Right now, though, it's time for us to talk fantasy football with our resident expert, the former RP3 and Company Fantasy Football League champion, Mr. Zach Miller, joins us. Zach, good morning to you, bud. How are you, my friend? Ray, I'm doing fantastic. How are you, brother? I'm doing great, bud. I'm doing great. So let's get right to it because this is an interesting weekend for injuries and buys. And let's start off with the news about Josh Allen. The latest is he will not go, correct, because of the finger issue. The MVP candidate and the man who leads the Buffalo Bills offense, one of the best young quarterbacks, if not the best young quarterback, is not going to be able to go for their weekend's game. 
if you have Josh Allen and he can't go, what do you do? Yeah, so hopefully you drafted. You didn't put all your eggs in one basket when you drafted and you have a competent backup, but most people don't. Uh, so most people are going to be in the same position. They're going to be scrambling, obviously. So then you go to streaming options. What are the streaming options at this point? Uh, best case scenario, maybe somebody like a Jared Goff is available in your league. And let's not forget he was a QB5 in the first five weeks of the season. And then injuries to Amon Ross, St. Brown, DeAndre Swift, you know, the offense really started uh, fading at that point. Um, but his complement of weapons is healthy again. So he may return to form. He should be uh, good for, you know, 20 points or so. He's only owning about 34% of leagues. So it's very possible that he's available in waivers. If not, you may have somebody like a Jimmy G who's only owned in 18% of leagues and he's averaging about 17 and a half points a game. And he's got a positive matchup this week. So a 20, 22 point game is certainly in the cards for Jimmy G this week. How about a Jacoby Brissett? That's someone that's probably available in most leagues as well. Uh, and that's a favorable matchup as well for fantasy wise, not necessarily winning the game, but Going against the Dolphins' defense, pass defense, that should be a favorable matchup for Brissett, right? That's a good call. In a, uh, he's only owning about 8% of leagues, uh, and it maybe you can consider it a revenge game since he you know, ended up for the Dolphins last year. Um, and, yeah, he's been serviceable. And like you mentioned, uh, <laughs> last week, uh, Fields looked like an MVP candidate against that Dolphins' defense. Now, Brissett's not the runner that Fields is, but uh, – can certainly give you a, a startable week for sure if you're really looking to dive deep into the streaming options no josh allen because of injury it's also a bye week which means no lamar jackson no joe burrow which means people are going to be scrambling as well especially if they didn't get their backup but with those two teams in particular on bye, there'll be no five touchdown performance from joe mixon to help you win your fantasy league matchup as it did a certain host last week there's no Andrews for Baltimore as well. There's some key playmakers for the Bengals and the Ravens that aren't going to be available. Where do folks go this week? So in this situation, when you like you mentioned, you got buys and you're you're really just if you don't have somebody on your bench that you can easily slot in there, then you're you're going to the waiver. So you're you might want to target somebody like Orshad White who might be available. Uh, he had a season high eleven touches last week. This is more of a projection because he's kind of increased his workload a little bit as the season progressed, um, and he's getting carries as well as receptions. So especially if you're in a PPR league, he may give you a, a serviceable week. I certainly don't expect him to be a league winner, but he should at least put up a startable stat line for you there as he looks like he may be edging out Fournette um, for at least a timeshare, but uh, as the season progresses, maybe even more than that. Um, or even somebody like a Jalen Warren. Uh, Pittsburgh was on by last week, but in week eight, he had eight carries for 50 yards and three receptions for 25 yards. Najee's averaging three and a half yards a carry on the season and Warren's averaging about five and a half. So, uh, it looks like he is, you know, gaining favorability in that offense and, uh, as well. So you may want to stash him and just see if he's playable as well. Matthew Stafford has been, let's just be honest, kind of dreadful most of the season that could be the shoulder issue he's playing through the pain it's just a Super Bowl hangover whatever it may be he's gotten to the point where he's been benched but this weekend looks like the most favorable matchup that he's going to face all season because Arizona's pass defense made Andy Dalton look really good a few weeks ago they're not very good on the back end of that defense 
favorable matchup, does that make you reconsider starting Matthew Stafford? Yeah, I tell you what, if you benched him and you just didn't drop him outright, that means you're still cautiously optimistic that you may have, may have a matchup that he's worth starting. And if, if there is one, it's going to be this week. We know that that running game is in shambles right now. So if the Rams are going to score, it's more than likely going to be through the air. And McVay is 11-1 and one in his career versus the Cards. So uh, I suspect uh, that he's going to try to continue that, and it may have to be Matt Stafford that delivers him the win. So, yeah, if you, if you still have him on your roster and one of those other streaming options doesn't entice you, go ahead and uh, trot him out there and cross your fingers. We ignore team defenses because we get so focused on the points that the offensive skill guys get us. And defenses aren't going to get you a ton of points, but it could be the difference in a close matchup in fantasy football. You look out there, a lot of great defenses are still available in most leagues. Who are some of the defenses that you would recommend folks going to pick up this weekend, Zach? So somebody like Tennessee, uh, they have a plus matchup this week against the Broncos, unless the Broncos somehow figured out whatever their issues were and on their bye week. Um, their offense has been dreadful. So Tennessee, who's a pretty average defense, but with a great matchup this week, uh, should be able to deliver for you. And also uh, Minnesota facing a, a Buffalo team without Josh Allen, um, if he does in fact not play, would be a very enticing matchup because they have a, a – decent defense and I don't know what that Buffalo offense is going to look like without Allen but I'd roll the dice on that one brother appreciate your time as always enjoy your weekend and good luck with the uh 327 different leagues you're in so thank you (laughs) thank you I need it (laughs) it's Zach Miller our fantasy football expert joining us here on RP3 and company we got to take a time out when we return big easy blitz time Ryan Hinton Our guy from the Saints Twitter podcast, better known as That Boy Wolf, will join us to help us preview Saints Steelers. That's next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Houdan is ready for Saints talk. The give to Camara, breaks through, spins at the two, into the end zone, touchdown! Time to talk Saints with the Big Easy Blitz here on RP3 and Company. That boy Wolf on Twitter. He's the co-host of the Saints Twitter podcast. Ryan Henson joins us now on RP3 and Company for the Big Easy Blitz. Brother, I thought at this time when we would be talking yet again that this team would have made some progress, that it would have been able to get it together a little bit, and yet here we are, and this team is yet to get it together. <laughs> so I mean how you feeling this morning let's just start there have you given up on this team this season or did last night's Thursday night football matchup go you know what this division is just hot wet garbage and I'll take it if we win seven or eight games and win the division I don't care brother I have given up um look this team I leave with this division somehow still has a chance uh, to actually host a playoff game. <laughs> Believe it or not, they still have a chance. With that said, though, man, I just have not seen it from this team that they can strain together just enough wins because at some point for them to do that, they will need to strain together 
two, three, four wins. Um, and I just don't see that from this team yet, man. I mean, look, we had that, they had that real nice win against the Raiders a few weeks ago. Uh, we were in the dome for that game and got to see it. It was a, easily the most complete game of the season. But, you know, they follow up with the stinker against the Ravens, who just look – honestly, they just look like they were in a different weight class. I mean, they just schooled the Saints. It just wasn't even close. And, look, I mean, they're going up against the struggling Steelers this week. And But, you know, I, I can't even check that off as a win. You would think they should win that game. But, you know, Mike Tomlin coming off a of bye week, I think he'll have those guys coached up. And, you know, we just – the way it's banged up as the Saints are right now and just the inability to, to put together a full – team effort you just don't know what you're going to get man and look it, it, but it sets up right because i got this stat for you the steelers are the only team without a touchdown of at least 15 yards through the first nine weeks of a season since at least 2000 wow. okay so they're not a prolific offense even though they got some dudes on the outside they're young they're developing and they have right. a rookie quarterback and the defense isn't what it once was and they're in a rebuild mode and they're at the bottom of their division, right? So this should be a game that you look at and go, yeah, I'm confident that the Saints can go into Pittsburgh and get a win. But then I remember Tomlin coming off a bye. Oh, and Saints versus rookie quarterbacks. Never a good oh. thing in the last 15 years. I, so I, I kind of lean towards Pittsburgh winning this game on Sunday. I just do. You know, and the question the question for me is, I think defensively, I think the Saints should be able to do a pretty good job against uh, the Steelers' offense. But, man, I'm, I mean, they'll just have questions about the Saints' offense right now. <laughs> I mean, you know, Dalton, Andy Dalton has done a, you know, a fine job for the most part, but I think we've reached this kind of ceiling on what he can do. He just can't guide an offense. Um, he kind of he just has to ride the boat with it. And, you know, we got to see, you know, can he – can he attack? Look, it looks like T.J. Watt, um, of course, after missing all this time, is going to be healthy. Of course. Enough to play against the Saints. And, look, he, Ramchek, he's kind of struggled a little bit the last few weeks. Um, you know, he got injuries on the offensive line. Looks like Eric McCoy probably going to be out. Uh, and, you know, that could be a rough day up in in Pennsylvania. You know, once that heat starts getting on Andy Dalton, and then you got guys like Micah Fitzpatrick who just love taking the ball away. Um, and things can get ugly. This is one of those – we have one of those offenses that has to play perfectly, where if it just goes bad, you have one or two bad series where you turn it over, it's like it's like you're climbing out of a rut, and we just can't do it. So it, they're going to have to play their, their best game on offense. And defensively, like you said, man, they're playing a the rookie quarterback. Kenny Pickett has not been outstanding. Um, but like I said, coming off a of bye week, I think they might have something cooked up where – if they could just put up just enough points, uh, they can keep the Saints' offense kind of on their heels. Let's talk about the offense because I thought the the, the play calling with Carmichael had gotten better. Oh. It had gotten yeah. better, and they were utilizing Taysom Hill, and they were utilizing Alvin Kamara, and they were using their playmakers. And we're talking a team without Michael Thomas and without Jarvis Landry. And they, they figured it out. And then came last week's game. And I understand – the ebbs and flows of games sometimes dictates how many plays a guy gets. But if your top two playmakers on offense barely get any touches and one of them only gets one pass, one run, and one target in Taysom Hill, 
you're not doing your job, right? I mean, we can go ahead and right. say that, that you're not doing your job if you're not getting the ball in your playmaker's hands. I mean, how many examples have we had to see over, not even just this year, but past years, of the spark that Taysom Hill gives us when the offense is struggling? And it's like, why not go back to that well? Especially anytime you're in the red zone or close to the uh, close to the end zone, why it should be guaranteed, like on Pete Carmichael's spreadsheet that he holds, that Alvin Kamara and Taysom Hill should be on the field. Period. Like those are your best playmakers on offense, and they open up a wide range of play calls and opportunities for you uh, when they're on the field. And it just boggles my mind with some of the things they do. You know, they're doing a the handoff to Dwayne Washington. Uh, uh, you know, on a, on a RPO with Jason. I'm like, what is going on here? Uh, it's just such a mess, man. As far as the play calling, uh, it could be. You know, some things work out, but look. There were times where it was the right play call, and then Dalton just threw a bad ball. You know, so it's like you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. And we're trying to figure out what works. Um, I'm also wondering, like, you know, will we see Jameis Winston at some point? I think Dalton might be on a short leash here. Because uh, if, if he loses this game, man, that would be like four of the last five that they lost, and it will be time for another change. Talking with Ryan Henson, better known as That Boy Wolf. He's the co-host of the Saints Twitter podcast. He joins us here for the Big Easy Blitz. Uh, you, lead me, you lead me to my next question. You know what you're going to get out of Dalton. The ceiling is low. The floor is high, but the ceiling's low. With Jameis, you know that the ceiling is high because of the arm strength, and he can stretch yeah. the field. Now, turnovers are always an issue, but you know what? Andy Dalton's been turning over the ball every week, too. So it's not right. as if... You went from one guy that turned it over all the time to another guy who didn't. So that that argument doesn't hold any weight anymore. But Dennis Allen's already made this switch. Do you really see the first-year coach making the switch back to Jameis? Because then, I, I don't know, man. Like, I, I think it would be the best move for them because you're getting to desperation time and you got to pull out all the stops. But I don't know, man. Is he going to be too stubborn and not do that and just stick with Andy and just let Jameis rot on the bench? That's a good question. But, I mean, look, Jameis was the starter going into this season. You know, so it's not like uh, it'll be like some crazy decision. I mean, he was the penciled-in starter. So it wouldn't be, you know, outrageous. Honestly, I don't think he'll get much fight back from fans. So I think, you know, fans are at the point where they're ready to see a change. And, man, it's just getting to that point of the season where you just got to try stuff. And they honestly, they really have to evaluate their roster. Uh, it really – get an understanding of what they have. They hadn't really got a chance to see, uh, you know, uh, Jameis Winston healthy yet. Not sure if he's 100% healthy yet, according to uh, some reporters that, you know, he's still kind of nursing that ankle and back. Um, but if he's, like, ready to play, I say, you know, just see what you got, at least so you know after this season, you know, you know, where you go from there as far as the quarterback position next year. You know, if Jameis is going to be a part of the future or Andy Dalton or whoever. But I think I think we've kind of seen enough of Andy Dalton. <laughs> Time to retire the red rifle, says Ryan. He says, I'm tired of seeing this guy. Get him out of here. Let me ask you this. Uh, I've asked everyone this week that's been a Saints guest, and I'll ask you the same question. Thomas out for the rest of the year, not going to see him. Essentially three <sighs> years have been wiped out. Two and a half, technically, but really, let's say three seasons have been wiped out. He's under contract. It would be a huge salary cap hit if you cut him or trade him. 
My question to you, Ryan, is does Michael Thomas line up and put on a Saints uniform and play for this team next season? Man, it's such a tough question. I, you know, I did ask myself when he went on IR, I was like, wow, did we see the last of Michael Thomas in black and gold? Um, part of me doesn't think so. Um, because of the way the contract is, I think they could figure out a way to rework that contract to turn it into more of an incentive-laden contract to where if he does come back healthy, you know, he'll make his money. Because, I mean, to trade him, I don't – I mean, who's going to trade for him? Who will give you anything for Michael Thomas right now? I just don't see it. So, to me, it would just make more sense for the two to try to find a way to work things out and hopefully he could just get back to where he was or just be healthy, like just come back and get healthy. Because, look, he's an amazing player. We saw week one, you know, some Saints fans seem like they think he doesn't want to play for the Saints. You saw the guy play week one. The guy puts his whole heart on the field. He wants to play. He just has had some of the worst luck, you know, the last couple of years, just terrible luck. And, you know, some mismanaged by the medical staff for the Saints, uh, to be honest. So um, so hopefully, I, I, I hope they could kind of figure it out because, look, they paid a ton of money for him already. You're not getting that money back. Um, to me, you only get worse without Michael Thomas. So I would try to figure out a way to make it work. But, man, we'll see. That's going to be one of the huge questions going into the off-seasons because, look, they don't have a lot of picks going into the next – you're going in the next draft, so they're going to have to find ways to gather up some picks to improve this team and maybe find a quarterback. Yeah, I mean, you people, know, he may be an asset for that, you know? Yeah, people were talking about, yeah. you know, terrible free agent deals, and I, I get that, but when you signed him, he produced that first season and set the NFL record for receptions. No one could have right. seen that he was going to be injured three straight seasons. It's not like the Jarius Bird deal where you bring in a guy and he's just dreadful and just stealing money from your mama. So, because that, that's what Bird did. But uh, I'll ask you this. Do you think they can start turning things around? Do, or, do you think they can get a win Sunday up in Pittsburgh? Yes or no? I, I predict they get a win. I think they'll we got to win. I think the defense is um, a prideful enough to, uh, to you know, just kind of put their foot down on this Steelers offense. And if they could just get enough out there, Saints offense, they could come out there with a win. Uh, but I think it might be the last win of the season, man. When you look at the rest of the schedule, I think it kind of goes downhill from there. Um, and maybe they could squeak out another win. I think, you know, I think this team maxes out at about six wins this season at most, which call into question after that, you know, if they can only win five or six games, what happens to Dennis Allen? You know, that would be the big question going into this offseason. Yeah, you're not wrong, brother. You're not wrong. Ryan, appreciate your time as always, brother. Keep up the great work with the podcast, and we'll talk to you soon, bud. I appreciate you. That's Ryan Hinton better known as that boy wolf on Twitter. He's the co-host of the Saints Twitter podcast joining us there for the Big Easy Blitz. Hey, jam-packed weekend, right? LSU football on the road at Arkansas. LSU men's basketball at home inside the PMAC. McNeese on the road at Houston Christian. It's a big weekend. Saints on the road at Pittsburgh, but hey, there's something a little bit closer to home for you to go check out. The Sweet Dough Pie Festival had to be rescheduled due to weather last month it's now going to be held this saturday 
They serve up a slice of history and deliciousness. Every year, pastry chefs and home cooks vie to be crowned best in sweet dough pie contests where the public is the judge. And, of course, a large variety of pies are available for purchase. The rescheduled Sweet Dough Pie Festival returns this Saturday from 9 to 3 at Grand Coteau Town Park in Grand Coteau. For more information, call 337-331-6352 or visit the Town of Grand Coteau's Facebook page. we got to take a timeout. We'll finalize the poll question of the day and get you set up for Kevin Foot and Footnotes. That's all coming up right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Delta Media is your home for thrilling high school football playoff action. The Acadiana Reckon Rams will begin their playoff run at home tonight, and you can hear it on MeTV 97.7 FM and 1330 AM. The Vermilion Parish game of the week will feature Erath hosting Eunice, and that can be heard on our sister station, 106.3 Radio Lafayette. While the St. Landry Parish game of the week will broadcast Northwest at Iota and can be heard on News Talk 98.5 FM in 1520 AM. So tune in tonight for the start of the high school football playoffs to Delta Media, your home for exciting Friday night football. I want to take a moment to thank our guest James Yasko from the Lima Time Time podcast, Corey Diaz from the Daily Advertiser, fantasy football expert Zach Miller, and of course Ryan Hinton from the Saints Twitter podcast. Our poll question of the day is all about those Raging Cajuns. Will the Louisiana Raging Cajuns earn a bowl berth? They got to five wins last night with that dominant win over Georgia Southern. They only need to win one game now in their final two. Their best chance will be at Texas State two weeks from Saturday. 62% of you say yes. 38% say no. Robert Duplass-Chan says, learning more towards yes. Where was this execution and energy all year? Yep, sure did feel like they finally stepped up after their backs were against the wall here. But if they play like they did last night, if they play like they did against Marshall... They'll beat Texas State. They'll get to a bowl game, and more than likely, that will be the Independence Bowl in Shreveport. For my man, Blanc, who stepped in in a big way this morning. Thank you, brother. Go ahead. Thank you for doing that. You're welcome. (laughs) He was a little nervous. He was a little nervous, but he stepped up in a big way. Thank you, buddy. Still am nervous. We'll get there, though. (laughs) We'll get there. We'll get there. I'm Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again on Monday. 6 to 9, but until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station.